You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on You're Relevant Radio 950 AM and WNDZ 750 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese brings you conversation about the programs, events, people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago to Catholic Chicago. Good morning. I'm Jim Dish at the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office. It's good to be with you during these challenging COVID-19 times as we connect thanks to Relevant Radio. Every Saturday, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. We begin today with a highlight from our Catholic Chicago program hosted by Father Greg Sakowitz and Mark Teresi. They spoke with the rector-president of the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Mundelein Seminary, Father John Carche, about the virtual May crowning that will be streamed on the seminary's website tomorrow, May 3rd. Let's take a listen. Father John Carche, welcome to the program. How are you, John? Hey, Father Greg. Thanks so much. Great to be with both of you. And Good. Welcome. It, uh... You're back by my popular demand, Father Greg. <laughs> you are back by popular dem- demand also, too, John. And uh, aren't you, wouldn't you be the first to admit that uh, for the seminary, for the world, everything's been turned upside down? Oh, absolutely. Um, but again, uh, nothing that other folks aren't dealing with as well. It was, gosh, about five weeks ago now, uh, I guess, that we made the difficult decision to uh, send all the guys home. And some of the seminaries, well, just a few really, uh, have decided to keep everyone in and basically just go under total lockdown quarantine. But we have men from such far-flung corners really all across the country that I felt would be best for them to be uh, with their people and their bishop and their home diocese. So we sent them home, and, uh, you know, we're sheltering in place here, the resident priests and a small skeleton staff. But I love what you said about faith over fear. Um, I think that's very true. And my hope is that our guys uh, are actually helping to instill that wisdom to the people that they're with, even while keeping social distancing. Now, are that the seminarians, matters. John, are they doing studies online? They are. So a full slate of studies. We got all our faculty uh, up and running. Uh, really huge note of gratitude for them for getting all that going. We took one week uh, of hiatus just to get everything set up. But we've been able to finish out the semester successfully. This is uh, finals week. Mm. So full disclosure, I was up at Mundelein some of my happiest years, 15 years. Uh, in fact, John was a student, worked in our office. Really? Before he was, that's how old I am, yes. So, John, you worked <laughs> in the office that Mark Teresi headed. I sure did, and he, I never hesitate to say those were uh, some of the best times that I had here. And that big old white counter where yes, I exactly. uh, hand-stuffed thousands of envelopes. <laughs> he sure did. There. He sure did. <laughs> he got to know all of his future donors by sending That's them right. letters. John has nightmares over that white counter. Oh, well, and one of the things that John has seen over the years, and he's continued to really grow, is the idea of folks connecting to the mission of the seminary. Now, how are you continuing to – because I remember they had we would have like a rector's – Mass and a big reception. There was there were concerts. There were open. There was a lot of stuff going on. How are you keeping folks connected? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And again, trying to do it uh, virtually as much as possible. Uh, you mentioned the May crowning, which is coming up mm-hmm. uh, this Sunday, May third. 
uh, which has, you know, again, been a wonderful tradition. And, and so many of these traditions, uh, Mark, go back to, to your good work here. Um, and, you know, it's not the same thing, obviously, but it also allows an opportunity to tailor the message a little bit. And I like to remind people that the Holy Spirit hasn't gone anywhere. Certainly Mary mm-hmm. hasn't gone away. Um, and it's just a, an opportunity to hold one another in prayer uh, and in our thoughts. And there's a kind of holy longing as we're aware of what we're missing um, that doesn't have to defeat our spirituality. It can actually deepen it. Now, John, normally um, May crowning been held on the grounds and hundreds of people would have uh, attended. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of our biggest events. So now people can uh, sign up virtually right on the website. Uh, we'll be live or we'll be broadcasting at one o'clock, and then of course it'll be up for viewing uh, any time after that. How does it look? Is it an outdoor procession? Is it held in the chapel? Is it held by the grotto? It'll be, yeah, it'll be held in the John Paul II Chapel, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there'll be music you know, all by seminarians will be doing the readings. And what's kind of neat is they're all doing it from where they're sheltering in place. So you'll get a little sampling of uh, the various worship spaces across the country. Um, you know, what it looks like in El Paso, what it looks like in Grand Rapids, and so forth. Uh, question, John. You have an incredible background, for maybe for a few moments. Tell us your vocation story. Okay, I know you love priesthood. You are a gift to the people of Chicago, we're both blessed with the gift of priesthood. And this is maybe for a few minutes, your vocational story. Sure, absolutely. Uh, well, I've been blessed in so many ways throughout my life, but definitely two passions that I always shared uh, was a love of science, and I wouldn't necessarily say a love of the priesthood, thinking of it that way so explicitly, but a love of my faith and a love of my church. So grew up in a large Catholic family, uh, but as I said, a love of science, and was just very privileged to be able to study that uh, all the way through college and graduate school, and uh, ultimately got a degree in astrophysics, and was able to work in that field for a little bit. You know, just as uh, a side thing, is uh, are you able to give us the title <laughs> of your dissertation? <laughs> I can't even pronounce it. Well, I refuse to quote it. That, that's one thing that's <laughs> too esoteric, but basically looked at how get one of the ways galaxies form in the early universe. So <laughs> Just uh, breakfast reading for me. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. Uh, it, it's no worse than some of these theology dissertations, believe me. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it was wild. So I was at the University of Chicago and, uh, uh, just a good priest who I know is respected by all of us. That sadly passed away a few years ago. Uh, Willard Bill J. Bush. Yes, oh, was you know, Willard was my there. he was my cam priest at Mundelein Seminary. Okay, well, in there you Tuch go. Two Center was Father Bill J. Bush and taught homiletics and exactly. for many years. Great priest, but he was certainly influential on you know seeing the transition from uh, a of faith, a deep faith, and a love of the Church into uh, priesthood itself. And I just remember, he was a, a lover of learning very much himself, uh, a polymath of sorts, great composer. And I just remember him opening the window to me, you know, and seeing that um, in and through the priesthood could be ways of just even growing ever more in a love of the great traditions of the Church. But he also taught me that diocesan priesthood is where my heart was, you know, to mm-hmm. really uh, be with the folks uh, out in the world um, and, 
you know, now obviously I'm at the seminary, but still I try to always keep that focus for the guys that the vast majority of them, when they leave here, God willing, are going to be in, in churches and parishes out on the, the corners of the neighborhoods of the country and the world. John, was there a defining moment in your life in which you said, responding to the call of God? Because I truly believe the Lord calls, but many just don't respond, and the Lord certainly called in my life like yours. Was there a defining moment? Yeah, and I wouldn't say it was a, you know, a lightning flash kind of moment, but it was definitely a defining experience. And uh, that was, again, going back to college, uh, working as a Eucharistic minister, volunteer in the hospitals there at the UFC. Um, so just bringing the, the host from St. Thomas Apostle, the local parish, and just that experience of being with the people uh, in their illness, but bringing them the Blessed Sacrament, and that, for me, just really opened up a whole world of what these sacraments that I'd grown up with, the the real power and potency that was there, and, and that began a journey of learning how to pray and exploring the faith and just growing in that love, not only of the Lord and the Church, but of priesthood in particular. And it's interesting, I'm thinking of one of Greg's um predecessors, Bishop Lyon. Uh, I remember him giving a talk, and one of the young seminarians asked him, Bishop Lyon, did you have a defining moment? He said, yeah, in eighth grade, he said uh, the nun announced the eight, ten guys that were going to Quigley. (laughs) And uh, afterwards, his parents said to him in the vestibule after the ceremony, Timmy, we didn't know you wanted to go quickly. He said, neither did I. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And he said the rest the, the rest was history. Tell us a little bit about, um, maybe a little bit more about uh, the May crowning and specifics, too, so that uh, people know how to beam you up. <laughs> yeah. Beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> Absolutely. So as I said, it will be uh, broadcast for the first time this Sunday at 1 p.m., and what we are asking is if people would just uh, go on our website, usml.edu. One, one more time a, on that, John. Yes, usml for University of St. Mary of the Lake, .edu, and there's a, a link right there on the front page. Uh, and it, it's just a way to, then we'll send them a follow-up reminder, so uh, they'll be reminded when to, to check in. And then it'll be up, you know, available uh, after that, uh, in general, on the website. And very specifically, it'll be most of the elements that you associate with May Crowning. It won't be a Mass, so it'll be a, uh, a liturgy service um, with music performed by seminarians and some faculty members, uh, readings. Uh, I'll give a, a little reflection. Uh, Mary, of course, will be crowned by one of our seminarians. Uh, when we filmed it, the weather was just awful outside, so uh, it won't be the the Statue of Mary in the Dowdle Garden, oh. uh, which we often do, but it'll be the Marian statue in uh, in the John Paul II Chapel. Uh, and uh, then there'll be some closing music. Uh, so the whole event runs about an hour. And the thing is, uh, <clears throat> the actual crowning takes place by a seminarian, but is the music provided, you said earlier, by seminarians in their different dioceses? Yeah, exactly. Wow. So, uh, you know, one of the pieces is played here on campus. Uh, the uh, Salve Regina is chanted in Joliet, if memory serves me right. Uh, the Gospel is read in El Paso, and so it's 
it's really cool the way that uh, our team has put that together. That's amazing. For more information about the virtual May crowning that Munderland Seminary will stream tomorrow, please visit their website at usml.edu. That's usml.edu. Later in the same program, Father Greg and Mark had a chance to talk with the Cardinal's Vicar for Healthcare, Father Bill Grogan, and a panel of experts about the overall impact that COVID-19 has had on our church and on our healthcare system. Let's take a listen. This is a very important topic we're talking about today, the whole COVID-19, the impact on the Catholic Church. And I want to make it very clear. A task force has started in the Archdiocese. What do we look like when things come back? And I'm going to tell people right now, it's going to be not a matter of just flipping the lights on and, as usual, far from it. So, uh, first of all, Bill, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you, and uh, again, congratulations and gratitude to Kathy and the other folks who I've put together on this panel today. Let me be direct and answer your question. Jim Cifuentes is going to respond really from the perspective of a hospital in a really financially and uh, challenged area with wonderful people, but the whole place of Catholic social justice advocating, not only providing clinical services, and then we have Dawn Mayer, from the Franciscan Ministries, uh, which is an extensive network of care services, primarily for older people, and the pastoral approach which they're addressing. Now, what we're going to be looking at post-COVID is the reality of how a topic that people in public health have known has been down the track for many years, especially since the SARS outbreak, and how public health has really, in many ways, been decimated. That's why we see this real catch-up approach that's taking place right now uh, nationally. But what we're going to see, I think, is a deepening, an opportunity for a deepening of our faith, building on the legacy of the past. And by that, I mean we're going to belong to one another like soldiers who have gone through battle. So there'll be a war experience psychology that I think offers greater depth uh, experientially in the day-to-day lives of people and also the opportunity as a teachable moment for the pastors to connect that experience, that real-life experience that was shared, not just one person at a time, not only that, but together as a group, like Dr. Gordon mentioned, a country going through war together for an extended period of time. And I think that's something that our Catholic faith will enrich us because we have the lived day-to-day experiences of Catholic charities, places of the 20 Catholic hospitals like St. Anthony's, and uh, extended pro-life witness at uh, places like Franciscan Ministries. Now, Bill, this is a, this is Mark Treacy. This is a lifelong commitment for you. I remember years ago when you stayed at Clements and you were at Children's Memorial for your CPE. I mean, there's, it's always been in your heart to do—and you're a lawyer, too, right? Correct. And I would say that, and I would point out, the difficulty is it points out that I'm 44 years a priest this year. And God bless you. Years, God bless you, Bill. You finally was, found somebody older than Greg. No, just kidding. <laughs> oh, my came God. Later, Praise though. He God. Came later. 
Or uh, ordained four years, three years apart. Yeah. Yes, yes. So I remember him as a lad behind me. <laughs> a lad. <laughs> but uh, what I would want to stress is um, it's part of our overall witness to the dignity of each person. And I did 10 years in parish work uh, mm-hmm. with a Hispanic, a French-speaking Afro um of persons from the former French colonies in Africa and Southeast Asia. But what is very clear is how healthcare, just like the priest visiting the classroom or the lay minister of communion like Dr. Gordon or yourselves in the communication ministry, we concretely personalize not only Christ's presence to us, but we point out he's sharing this cup of suffering with us. So there's an endless continuity of contact, whether it's bedside in the hospital, in the soup kitchen, or in the classroom. We're sharing where the realization, as we heard yesterday in the Gospel, Jesus appeared to the disciples, shared with them how he's present, and showed him he's present to the extent of suffering for and with us by showing him their wounds, showing them his wounds. Now, Kathy... I noticed when I opened the Chicago Catholic, the envelope fell out from the Mother's Day collection. Catholic Charities continuing to do your great ministry during this crisis. Um, how is that going? The ministry? Yes, yes. Stronger. I mean, if we didn't know how important we were before, we know it today. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't hard for us because we already— we have 11 programs that we consider to be essential services, and, I mean, people would die if we weren't there for them. Mm-hmm. So we just had to learn how to do it differently and learn how to wear protective gear, but we're still with our clients face-to-face in the community, in their homes, in vans, in shelters. And, peop- uh, and, and I pe- and I know you keep delivering those uh, meals because uh, over on you know over on LaSalle there because the cathedrals involved still on Thursdays and Fridays for the feeding of the poor and the homeless. Right. Now you know, Kathy, I, we all know churches being closed are getting crushed financially because of the weekly collection. People are trying to be generous online or mail envelopes in. I'm sure it's also affecting Catholic charities. Yes, I mean our Mother's Day appeal. You know the churches are hurting, so mm-hmm. we're we're not going to go strong on the second collection. I mean yeah. not during this time. So yeah. instead, we've launched a COVID uh, response campaign, and we were lucky enough to get some ads uh, donated from Joe Madden and a couple of other people challenging the community at large to donate, and so we seen some success with that, and we're hoping that we'll be okay in the end. Good. Well, I just trust in God this work is critical, and I think we're going to be okay. Now we have with us by phone Jim Sufuentes, Senior Vice President, Mission and Community Development at St. Anthony Hospital. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thank you. I think Mark has a question for you because he says your name is ringing a bell. Mark asked a question. He's got a burning question for you, Jim. Well, I was just wondering where you went to school. Um. High school, Quigley South. Okay. And um, St. Joe's Grammar School, and then I finished off at St. Xavier University. Because okay. uh, Mark In knows Chicago. you. Mark yes. knows you. So you know a lot of the South guys that came to Niles College. and. 
Yes, I do. Yeah, uh-huh. I thought I thought the name was familiar. I won't reveal any of those stories. But Jim, <laughs> I, I was, I was going to ask you a question. How did you become Vice President Mission and Community Development at St. Anthony's? How did that happen? So it's interesting. I was working, and I've always worked in the communities on uh, kind of where I grew up. I grew up in the back of the yards. I was in Pilsen. I was working at the YMCA. And I had been part of um, St. Anthony forming um, form the <laughs> Esperanza. And I was asked to serve on the board. And first, I became the chairman of the board uh, for the health, uh, federally qualified health center. And at the time, the um, senior vice president or the vice president here of Mission was leaving um, the position to pursue other opportunities and asked if I'd be interested. And I told him no, since <laughs> I was at the Y doing well, and I didn't really know anything about healthcare. But he had kind of talked to me, said about my, the, the ability to have um, community experience, my background with working with the church, because I had, I'd worked for Mercy Home, I, I was a youth minister as well. And uh, the fact that it'd be a new challenge, that's how I made my inroad at St. Anthony. I've been here 15 years. Now I got a question, Jim. The burning question for all parishes and hospital personnel is: How has COVID nineteen impacted your hospital, St. Anthony? Incredibly so. Um, give an example: In the state of Illinois, when they do testing and finding out the rate of positive, it's a twenty percent rate in the state. In our area that we're in, the service area, we're close to fifty-five percent wow. of the patients Whoa. turning. Positive. Yes, exactly. Whoa. So we would be considered, though it's not officially designated, though we're advocating to be a hotspot because the number of people that are positive in our community is an incredibly high amount. Why would that be? Number one, you got a lot of the essential workers here. Um, oh, wow. And a lot of the people that are living in our communities don't have the space to quarantine. So yeah. they're going home and there's not that space. So it is Unfortunately, not common right now to have family members in the hospital with COVID positive or waiting to see if they're positive within the same household. Now, are you finding, Jim, a good number of people who still are not taking this seriously? For example, not wearing masks, social distancing, still being together. I mean, you see this in in television. I see walking down the street sometimes. Many people are taking it seriously. But I, I used to have others saying, oh, this is all so overrated. This is about the elections, da 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 And I'm sure you want to just scream. You know, that has not necessarily been our experience. We've worked with, and because we're so focused in the community, we work with a lot of the community organizations. Our elected officials um, have been really key in making sure that we continue to educate the community. We have a bilingual community, really trilingual, and you think we also have the Asian-American community moving um, west. But we also have our director, our uh, director of uh, infection control, Dr. Menalora, and fortunately he is bilingual, Spanish, and we've been able to provide a lot of uh, Facebook time with community organizations to educate the communities and get their outreach um, from their network into a place where they can get questions answered. And some of that, along with other organizations, has really helped to kind of curb that area. I'm not saying it isn't, but I guess because of what we're seeing, that's not necessarily the case. 
Now, Father Bill, how is your office as Vicar for Healthcare? How are you working with the hospitals? Well, we were working primarily with the ta- through the task force because the initial challenge uh, and, uh, was to make sure that Catholics, especially the ones in non-Catholic ministries, could receive um, the sac- uh, sacraments, especially the last rites. The second area is we had conferences with both uh, the mission leaders and chaplains like Jim and Dawn um, uh, to ensure that they were re- uh, getting information and resources to sustain their ministry to the patients and also to the doctors and other nurses and other bedside providers, like Jim was mentioning, how they're strongly involved in their communities, and hear back from them Mm -hmm. what they were learning. And then the with the ethicists, the whole question of uh, the rationing of health care, and I hope you have the chance to ask Jim a question in his advocacy around this whole question of what resources in a pandemic, how are they distributed, you know, clinically? Because they, in a hospital like Little Company and Mary OSF out south, let alone St. Bernard's or Mercy and really medical, I don't want to call them medical deserts because they're dedicated people working there, how they, we together can look at this. And the final point going forward, we're looking at connecting the hospitals with FQHCs, like Jim mentioned, and parishes through the ministers of care so they were able to see people in their homes and have referrals, you know, with their permission back to Catholic Health Care Services. But join us on phone, a longtime great friend, Dawn Mayer. Welcome to the program. And Dawn, you are with Franciscan Ministries. Ministries. How are mm-hmm. you, Dawn? I am doing well. Thank you for having us on today. It's an important topic. Very, very important topic. So maybe for a few moments, uh, Dawn, explain your ministry and how the whole COVID-19 has impacted the work that you do. Sure. I work with Franciscan Ministries in Mission Integration and Pastoral Care. We're sponsored by the Franciscan Sisters of Chicago. And in in Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio, we sponsor life plan communities, continuing care retirement communities for our elders. So we have independent living, assisted living, memory support, and also skilled nursing. Obviously, this has been a very challenging mm-hmm. time for everyone. But I think in particular, our elders have been dealing with this crisis in a very unique way. How so, Don? In our communities, because of the risk of infection, we have enacted very strict protocols where, unfortunately, at this time, loved ones are not able to visit their, mm-hmm. their family member. Also, residents are needed, need to be separated from each other, again, to protect them. So things like gathering in our chapels for Mass, gathering for rosary and Bible study, even gathering in the dining room is not happening right now. Are they, in a sense, they, they're made to stay in their room? Well, we do try to have a schedule, a rolling schedule, so that uh, we we have people out in the community at different times, but certainly not anywhere near like it was before. Mm-hmm. We're really trying to keep this very vulnerable population as protected as possible because this virus is so very, very dangerous. So oh. we have uh, our staff, pastoral care, as well as other staff, um, helping our residents navigate not just the physical challenges of this time, but also the emotional and the spiritual challenges of this time. Now, Dawn, what challenges have you seen in your position? Well, day-to-day, our residents would spend a lot of time, obviously, with their families, but also talking with our staff. 
who now are busy doing all kinds of other things, and that day-to-day interaction isn't as ongoing as it was just a, a short time ago. We're using a lot more technology, so we have chapel channels in our community, so we have our, our priest chaplain saying mass in our chapel, and that's actually broadcast into the resident room. We have our pastoral care teams making intentional, personal pastoral care visits to folks, especially in independent living. Assisted living, there seems to be a lot more people kind of in and out of your room. Independent living folks are pretty much in their rooms, in their apartments. So making an intentional effort to be with them, to pray with them, to help ease some of their anxiety. We're trying to connect families to their loved ones through technology have a lot of FaceTime, Skype, and Zooming going on these days. And while it's not the ideal situation, I think it certainly has helped a lot of people. I would, I would also want to say, Dawn, you are an extra, incredibly gifted person, hard worker, but I bet you've never worked harder because with this whole COVID-19, there is no playbook to go on, and you're kind of creating as you go along. And now you're dealing with the second half as we keep moving into May, what things are going to look like when things reopen. Am I right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the initial, obviously, phase of this was getting through the initial health crisis. Mm -hmm. But we are already very much planning for how are we going to begin to welcome families back and what is our new normal going to look like? And as you well know, it's probably going to look significantly different than it has in the past. It's not a matter of just flipping lights back on. It's not just flipping lights back on. So, again, trying to handle the, uh, the emergent needs as they come before us day to day. I wanted to mention something. I think seniors uh, especially need to have purpose every day. And so one of the things we are trying to do with our seniors at any level of care is finding purpose and meaning in this day. So some of it is, is ask, asking our residents to particularly pray for other folks in the community by name, asking them to write cards, we're doing gift bags for our staff who are so, so hardworking these days. Mm -hmm. But so that they have, um, every day they have something that they can do that helps in this time of crisis as well. So really focusing on the spiritual dimension during this whole COVID-19. First of all, our, our general minister, Sister Bernadette, wrote a prayer for the pandemic. And so as communities, we are praying that daily. We are having regular prayer circles with our staff. As uh, I'm sure other people have mentioned, our staff are extremely um, stressed at this time, trying to navigate this new way of caring for people, but also dealing with their own anxieties of children at home and, you know, all the other things that all of us are dealing with. And so getting our staff together on a regular basis for those two-minute prayer circles, having our chapels be dedicated spaces where there's soft music playing, where they can go and decompress for just a few moments before they go back on the floor. It's interesting, Dawn. Go ahead. And then, again, offering our appreciation in all kinds of different ways. Our thanks to Father Grogan and his panel of experts for their insight. Stick around. In a moment, we'll hear from one of the priests who is ministering to individuals and families who have been directly impacted by the coronavirus. Please stay tuned would be grateful to accept any gently used clothing donations that you have. Winter coats, boots, sweaters, pants, hats, and gloves in all sizes are always appreciated at this time of year in our community clothing room. 
Also needed on an ongoing basis are new underwear and socks for guests who come to use the shower facilities in our Pope Francis ministries. And all types of professional clothing for men and women are most welcome in our Mary's Closet wardrobe. This special collection of dressier clothes is offered to our clients who are preparing for job interviews. Drop-offs can be made at 721 North LaSalle Street or at any of our regional locations. For more information, call 312-655-7700. That's 312-655-7700. Thank you from everyone at Catholic Charities. Food pantries, home-delivered meals to seniors, evening-to-go meals for the homeless, financial assistance, counseling, and other services. These are all programs Catholic Charities has been providing for years to people in Cook and Lake Counties. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, we have worked to keep all of these programs going, never turning anyone away. The needs are urgent and they will grow, but we want you to know that we will be here, as we always have been, with food, housing, financial assistance, and ongoing support. Thank you to the many, many donors and partners helping us serve those most in need. We couldn't do it without you. Would you consider joining us too at this historic time? Go to catholiccharities.net to donate and to learn more about our volunteer opportunities. Thank you on behalf of all those we have the privilege to serve. Before, during, and after COVID-19, Catholic Charities is here. Throughout this pandemic, Catholic Charities continues to develop the most effective ways possible to respond to the needs of our clients and communities. In the past month, our call center has received 250 calls a day for emergency services. More than 450 seniors are being visited by home care aides who help them with housekeeping, groceries, and personal care. Mental health services are being provided to more than 600 people via phone and video. Our friendly, knowledgeable staff is working nonstop, so we are always ready for whoever might reach out to us next. If we can be of assistance to you, email us at gethelp at catholiccharities.net or call 312-655-7700. That's gethelp at catholiccharities.net. Before, during, and after COVID-19, Catholic Charities is here for you. The Cemetery Ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 44 Archdiocese of Chicago Catholic cemeteries willing to help you in your time of loss. Call 708-449-6100 or visit catholiccemeterychicago.org. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837. You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio, 9.50 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. Every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m., the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ, 7.50 a.m. On Thursday's Catholic Chicago program, Father Greg Sackwitz and Mark Teresi visited with a wonderful guest, Father Wayne Watts, pastor of Saints Joseph and Francis Xavier in Wilmette. Always a busy priest, Father Wayne now finds himself immersed in the new reality brought on by COVID-19. Here are highlights of that conversation. 
Wayne Watts, Father Wayne Watts, welcome to the program. How are you, Wayne? Great, Father Greg. How are you? It's great to hear your voice. I'm not just okay. I'm actually great. Good. I'm, oh, you know, that's good to hear. I'm not good. I'm not just okay. I'm great. I'm really, uh, uh, as Mark mentioned, gratitude. Gratitude fills my heart, and, and I think that's what's keeping me going. Gratitude for the great people of the Archdiocese of Chicago. Yeah, and I really think that you know that attitude of a great and gratitude. It uh, when you think about it, Wayne. You know, it, it could be worse. It could be worse. But I always take the attitude: God is with us. One day at a time, we'll get through this, and, uh, and we're not alone. We are not alone. And also an attitude of gratitude to give thanks. So are things different right now? Yes, they are. But I like your attitude of they are great. And uh, so then, you know, you have been chosen or asked to be one of the 24 priests in the archdiocese unless you volunteered. And ironically, they never approached me. You're too old. I'm too old. <laughs> if you're over 60, you're ruled out to be a priest who ministers those with the coronavirus, I know you're much, much younger than me because <laughs> I'm 67. So it uh, now, were you asked or you did you volunteer? How'd that come about, Wayne? It was kind of a combo. I, I um, heard that they were going to be asking. I heard the parameters, and I figured that there weren't a lot of priests in that pool. Believe it or not, I don't think there's a ton of priests who are. Under sixty and in, in good good health, <laughs> yeah. so so I immediately raised my hand. I really feel like that's something that I'm called to do. It made a, it made some of my family members nervous. Oh, I'm wow. one of nine kids, and my family was like rolling, um, r- you know, rolling their eyes at, "Oh, here he goes again." But mm-hmm. I think it's the right right um, thing to do. So uh, you know, Wayne, if I were under 60, I would have stepped forward like you. I would have. I would have. Uh, I'm sure you would have. Oh, my God. You just, you just do it. But uh, I'm not, I, I, it's frustrating that I'm 67 in that sense. I don't feel it. But, um, you know, Mark, going to jump, jump in. Well, I was just going to ask you, Wayne, could you, for our listeners, just so you get a call, who calls you and then where do you go? So it's interesting. At the very beginning, it was, I got a call from the Evanston Hospital uh, director of spiritual services, but it was at the same time that we were just about to be trained. And there are two wonderful people who are really, I think, volunteering their time to help coordinate the priests. Uh, both work for the archdiocese. Mary Kay Gone, who's a nurse practitioner, who's kind of got the job of overseeing the health of priests. Mm-hmm. She has done a tremendous job. She really has. She. I'm really grateful for her, Mary Kay, and. There's a consultant who's working with uh, the Archdiocese. His name is Justin Lombardo. Justin has a lot of expertise in, in health care consulting. And so he I hear he's, an, he's another gem, too. He's great been guy. doing a great job. We've, we've been working together on a lot of things. Uh, he's kind of helping to head up the whole COVID-19 response team for the Archdiocese. There are about six or seven committees of that response team. And uh, Justin's been on it, and, and one of his roles is he filters the request. So now chaplains and people and priests have been told, if you get a call for a COVID-positive uh, patient, please call Justin or Mary Kay, depending on the hours. Um, so what happens? And- what happens when you get that call? So first, I, I usually get a text saying, 
are you available? And I'd like to be available, so I always say yes. When are you? Are there on call days for you for this? There, there aren't. You know, I suggested that, be, but because they didn't know uh, how flooded the request would come in, mm-hmm. uh, they decided not to do on call. So we're really on call every day. Do they do it by region, though? Like you would be going down to a Calumet City. No, so there are there are four priests per uh, vicariate of the archdiocese. You know, we're we're divided into a, mm-hmm. into six different vicariates, and and so I'm in vicariate two, which goes from about where your church is, Holy Name Cathedral, Father Greg, all the way up to Lake County on mm-hmm. the east side of the expressway. So it's a a pretty wide swath, but uh, and there are four priests in Vicaria too who cover that region. Correct. Do they monitor your health more closely? We're asked to self-monitor. It's so funny. I I I am a pretty healthy guy, thank God. And so I had to go searching through drawers to find um, a thermometer. Oh. Because <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. I don't think I even own one. My temperature. Greg, you had something you wanted. Yeah, to well, you know, Wayne, for example, uh, when I'm on call at the hospital at Northwestern, being the cathedral. For example, even like two days ago, Monday afternoon, 1 o'clock, I get a call from the hospital, uh, gentleman, 73, dying, non-COVID-19. So I go run, and all the rules have been changed over there. I met at the door, uh, mask, gloves. The chaplain escorts me upstairs. 3 o'clock in the morning, Monday night into Tuesday, I get a call again. Uh, ironically, same room different person. Mm. Never had wow. before. 14 hours later, and a woman had a, a dying of cancer, anoint her. But the first question I ask when I get the call from the chaplain, is this someone with coronavirus? If they say to me, yes, I'm not allowed to go, I give Mary Kay a call during the day or Justin a call in the night. And let's say I did get that call for a COVID-19 person, so I'm not allowed to go. Then let's say I then call Mary Kay. If she calls you and you say, yes, you can run to the hospital like Northwestern, take it from there. So uh, depending on the time of day, I guess it would be, um, if, if it's a daytime hour, what I try to do is I get from Mary Kay both the, the uh, hospital contact and a family member contact. What I like mm-hmm. to do in these COVID anointings is I call the family first and I say, this is Father Wayne Watts. I'm on my way to the hospital to anoint your mother, wife, husband, whatever. And is there something you'd like me to say to them for you? So I I, I try to be an instrument for Mm -hmm. the family as well. And so I get to the hospital and in most of the cases that I've had so far, the patients, and I do the same thing when I get to the hospital. They take your temperature. I have my own mask. We were given those special N95 masks, which are hard to come by. I, I bring in a mask and a face shield. I'm wearing gloves. I put another pair of gloves on. I, and when I get to the floor, I, I put a, a gown on and a hairnet, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And then I, I go into the room and spend some time with... Um, the patient, and, and we're actually suggested not to spend too much time just mm-hmm. because to limit our exposure. So I, as quickly as possible, relay the messages from the family, and then I um, anoint the person. And there's a special way of anointing because of the high infectious rate of this disease. 
So I'm wearing actually two pairs of gloves. The oil has been prepared on a cotton swab already. And so I say the prayers of anointing with the person, and the person uh, follows along to the best of his or her ability. I anoint the forehead and the palms of the hand using the cotton swab, and then I return the cotton swab to a different bag that I take home with me and then later burn the swab. I, mm-hmm. I come out of the room and I allow the, the nurses to help uh, me take the, you know, some of the stuff gets taken off in the room, some of the stuff gets taken off out of the room. Mm-hmm. We follow very, very particular procedures for, you know, there, there are two verbs that I was not that, that familiar with in my English vocabulary donning and doffing so i i don when i go in all the ppe personal protection Mm -hmm. equipment and i doff it on the way out wayne what about um confession or communion during that visit is that even allowed so it um it is allowed if the person is able to speak most of the people haven't been able to speak that much Mm -hmm. and you know in the sacrament of the anointing of the sick there's forgiveness of sin. Right, right, right. So normally that wouldn't be a priority if the person is able to receive communion. The suggestion given is that the person receives communion in the hand. Again, mm-hmm. a very challenging situation when people are weak and at the point of death. Have you had people, so my, on, have you had people on ventilators? I, I have had people on ventilators. Probably half have been on ventilators and Half of the people were not on ventilators. They were either on oxygen or just uh, trying to breathe on their own. You know, this is a little aside, but I know how important that moment is. About 10 years, 9 years ago, I had an infectious disease, life-threatening, and Greg anointed me. Greg came in and anointed me, and I know what peace that brings to people. Um, it's amazing to see. It's amazing it's to see. It's a powerful sacrament. And the and my experience has been the people are as much as they're in and out of uh, of consciousness when they hear you know the prayers of anointing um, or when after the anointing we pray the Our Father mm-hmm. I often see the patients opening their eyes and their lips moving to the words of the Lord's prayer it's quite beautiful and then I what I do is after I finish is I try to call the family and say, hey, I, I visited your dad. Oh, nice. He was uh, he was responsive. He prayed with me the Lord's Prayer. And it just means the world to the people. Now, Wayne's got to be very frustrating when family members are not allowed to see loved ones in that room. It's very it must hard break their them. hearts. It must just break their hearts. They can't go visit mom or dad or their, their own child or their own son or daughter. Yeah, it, it, you know, I, I knew this was going to be difficult at the very first patient that I anointed was right at the beginning of the pandemic, and he was a nursing home resident, and he lived in the nursing home with his wife. He and his wife both contracted the virus, so his wife was in the nursing home with the virus. The husband was in the hospital dying of the virus, and the kids couldn't be with either their mother or their father, and the wife couldn't be with her husband. It was, to me, it was... Super sad, but I was able to communicate with the family afterwards, and I think they were quite grateful that, you know, he was anointed. He did pray. I, you know, I try to relay that he was being well cared for, all the things that people 
want to know about their loved one. I try to relay when I call them back afterwards. So your one role is this tremendous um, ministry to the sick with the virus. What about as pastor? What's going on at your place? How do you keep in touch? What are your thoughts about um, maybe creative ways of ministering? The question we're all asking, Wayne, is how do you pastor when the doors are locked? Yes, exactly. That's the question. Well, I thank God for technology. And Mm -hmm. not that I'm super tech savvy, but I have a great operations director, Joe DiArco, who has been really uh, an amazing help during this time. So I decided on the first day of the um, pandemic that I would during I thought it was going to be two weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I write an e-blast and I send it to all the parishioners whose emails I have in the e-blast. I send uh, usually some words of encouragement, upbeat news, and I often include a prayer and I ask one of my staff members to give a short blurb as well. So they hear from me and the staff member every morning at 6 a.m. in their inbox. Attached to that email that I send, there are three opportunities to click to pray the rosary online or call in. We have a we have a rosary ministry at 7.30. I was on the rosary right before I got on with you this morning. And then there's a rosary at 9 led by a staff member and a rosary at three led by a staff member. And believe it or not, in the month of May, because we've done it historically, had a 7 p.m. rosary, we're going to have a 7 p.m. rosary. So four opportunities to click on or call in and pray the rosary with your fellow parishioners. We also have a YouTube mass and a daily mass and um, Sunday mass every week. So uh, there's there's mass every day with the miracle of technology. We drop in music. We we have readers reading from their home and sending us the video of their readings. It's mm, really quite well, beautiful. So you, so you get to see the parishioners, you know, where they are. Some people like that idea. Some people on Easter Sunday, we had somebody reading um, and it was recorded earlier in the week. And it was when they were doing the spring cleanup across the street so you could hear the leaf blower in the <laughs> real life <laughs> some people weren't so happy with the leaf blower for easter mass but it's okay it's life it's life but no we we connect every day i'm on the phone I, I it's really interesting my phone which i almost feel guilty my phone tells me at the end of the week how much time on an average day i've spent on the phone and uh, during the pandemic i've averaged 16 and a half up hours a day on my phone. I so bet Greg, I, you could I, resonate. I, I, Greg could resonate with that. Yeah. In fact, I don't know about so, you, Wayne, but I spend a lot of time on the phone, texting, uh, responding to emails. But a lot of time on the phone, I'll call people up. How are you doing? And yeah. um, because you know, we forget. You know, in a rectory might be now in your situation, Wayne. You live with is it with Dan Mayo? I actually live in. The, it's really an odd situation when I moved here. There wasn't room in the rectory in January of 19. So I live in this um, apartment that was created, I think, for Monsignor Meter in the 50s. Oh, so wow. It's, sure, it's, sure. It's, it's a, Charlie on the other end of campus. So yeah. uh, I, I don't really live with Monsignor Mayall, but I do see him regularly and check on him. There are three priests at St. Francis mm-hmm. uh, who are really um, in the St. Francis rectory. One of them turns 89 today. Happy birthday, Father Harnard. 
Ed uh, Harnan's 89 today? He is, oh, yeah. What a, a shout out to a, now there's a tremendous priest, the Archdiocese. Uh, he was on the faculty when I was at Mundelein Seminary as a mm-hmm. student. And uh, ha- happy birthday, Father Ed Hartnett. Great we're guy. Having, we're having a parade. He probably isn't uh, listening to this because he's probably getting ready. They have mass every day in the rectory dining room. But I can tell you we're having a surprise parade for him led by the police and fire department. Oh, nice. And, uh, and we're going to sneak him out to the front door of the rectory so he can see all of his fans. So that's happening today. That uh, is wonderful. Birthday party for Father Ed. I hope the media comes out and covers that. It's pretty nice, right? Be a yeah, great it sure thing. is. It's a great yeah. idea. Yeah, the thing is, see, I think you, one thing you're saying, Wayne, that is so important is, even though we have the the lockdown and stay at home and the cathedral doors are locked and your church doors are locked, is we just have to church in a different way. But I keep saying this, I repeat this over and over again: the churches are not closed, buildings are. You are the church, we are the body of Christ. So when I say that to people, it's a whole different twist that, you know, the churches are not closed. Buildings are closed, but not the church. So that we are the body of Christ, and you are the church. And so they, they, they take ownership that way. It's just churching in a different way, right. but God is with us. Speaking of that, to if creative. I could just toss one thing out to, sure. so that your listeners can hear churching in a different way. Over the past three weeks, we've created a line called A Call to Prayer. For any of the people in the Cook or Lake County who want to pray with a volunteer, they can call this number. It goes live tomorrow, and, and there's, there are volunteers from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day of the week to pray with uh, anyone who needs prayer. It's not a, it's not a counseling line. It's, it's just a prayer line. It's a call to prayer. Do you have that number? Can you give it I out, do. Wayne? It's it's three one two seven four one three three eight eight. That number once again. Three one two seven four one three three eight eight. And starting tomorrow. Starting tomorrow, it's going to be in English, Spanish, and Polish. So we're going to have. We have we have volunteers in all the languages. So which means if, another, I, if I were to another, call, if, if someone calls that number, they get a person who picks up the line and then prays with that person. Well, I think what first happens is there's a pre-recorded voice saying, you know, this is what we do, this is what we don't do. If you want to pray in English, press this mm-hmm. number. Spanish, press this number. So it's so we're re- we're ready to go. We're, we have been working hard with the people of the archdiocese, and it's just amazing the number of people. Could you give the number again? The number sure, one? it's three one two seven four one three three eight eight. You know, Wayne, that uh, Mark sent his picture to the Lonely Hearts Club, <laughs> and they sent him back and said, "We're not that lonely." <laughs> Very funny. Very nice. funny. He gets Mark. such a kick out of himself. <laughs> <laughs> and, our and our producer boss Jim Dish likes that. Two more numbers. Sure, man? please do. You know, I think. Some people during this time are experiencing, you know, emotional distress, and perhaps they need, a, like, a, a counselor. They can call Catholic Charities has a, a counseling line that we set up at the same time, mm-hmm. and it's 312-948-6951. One more time on that number. 312 948 Six nine five 
And when people call, what's available to them? So if you're experiencing anxiety, depression, it, it, they'll have, it's, it's almost like a mini intake for the person and figuring out what it is the person needs. It's a wonderful way if you're experiencing any of the difficulties that this pandemic can bring to one's psyche you can call that counseling line, and they'll help you to get what you need. You know, because I was going to say, Wayne, that I've dealt with a lot of people on the phone that are just really anxious, they're down, they're confused, they're stressed, and just someone to talk to because the number of people who live alone and that they're not getting called by family members or by friends or neighbors down the block, they're in their house, their apartment, 24-7 every day. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 after, and the thing is, you know, I tell you, I'm, I'm missing being with family, I'm missing going to dinner, I'm missing having coffee with somebody. Right. And uh, I think we, we all are. We all are. And in fact, you, you yourself included with that. And um, I heard a good idea. I forget. Maybe it was yours. I forget who said it. Go to your, your, um, your phone and every day pick, pick someone in one of the letters. So pick A, B. Oh, that means you every day you'd be making a call. 26 people would have reached out. And, you know, a lot of times you're dealing with people who in their day-to-day have always been nurturers. Well, nurturers need support too, you know. So a lot of times the assumption is, well, they're fine. They'll get through it. I, I think that I think this uh, the, the both of those phone lines, the prayer line, and the Catholic Charities Line are extremely important. Um, you said there was a third? A third number is if people are in need of corporal needs, food, and uh, other things. I heard a PSA during our commercial, but the, they can call anybody who, who needs, you know, material needs, food and shelter and mm-hmm. other things like that. They, there uh, is uh, a line that you can call. It's 312 Six five five seven seven zero zero. That number one more time, Wayne. Three one two six five five seven seven zero zero. I want to thank in a very special way Father Wayne Watts, pastor of Saint Joseph and Saint Francis Xavier in Wilmette, for being with us. And you know, Wayne, you have done a fantastic job all your years of priesthood. You're creative. You're a man of deep faith. You're there for the people. And now you are one of our frontline heroes as you are one of the 24 priests who have stepped forward to respond to those with uh, the coronavirus. Our prayers are with Father Wayne and the other priests who minister on the front lines of the pandemic. We close with a reminder that you can attend Mass online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. We have daily Masses from St. James Chapel at the Quigley Center and Sunday Masses in English, Spanish, and Polish from Holy Name Cathedral. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish-language Mass at 10 a.m., and Polevision for televising our Polish-language Mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and again at 3 p.m. Thanks for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio, 9.50 and 9.30 a.m. I'm Jim Dish for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Please reach out to family and friends during these trying times and stay safe, everyone.
Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.